Just here this morning, uh, Pastor Anders and Christina Eliason are over there. Anders and Christina, would you? Yeah, a little wave, a little higher. Yeah, that's that. <laughs> um, it's great to serve in an area. <clears throat> I tell pastors, I had someone ask me this week, what one recommendation would I give launching a church or be in ministry? And the, uh, my quick answer was, don't do ministry alone. And you always want to have friends who are doing ministry together. And Anders and Christina serve as pastors at Freedom Hill Church in Malden. Uh, Somebody's a God church there. If you've ever driven down Route 1 and you see that kind of big church hanging over the highway there, uh, that's where they are at. And they're leading a great church there. It's a great work. But more than that, they're friends who have uh, been a huge support over the years. And later in this message, I'm gonna talk about the importance of making sure you have people who are traveling in the same direction with you when you follow Christ. And Pastor Anders and Christina have been that for us. And we're grateful they're here just to get some rest. And uh, this summer, taking a break, um, but, uh, but he's got a great heart. If you know people in the Malden area who don't have a church, send them to Freedom Hill. And uh, Anders and Christina will be a blessing to them and leading them to tell them about Jesus. So thanks, guys, for being here today. If you have your Bibles, please open them to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. We're going to be there in just a moment. If you don't have a Bible with you, feel free to grab one out of the chair rack. And if you grab one out of your chair rack, we'll be on about page 1022. Uh, is where 1 John chapter 3 is, page 1022. And if you don't own a Bible, then that Bible in that chair rack is yours. Please take it home as a gift. And uh, we want to make sure everyone has a copy of God's Word and take that with you this morning. Uh, you ever go someplace for one purpose, but you know you're going to end up having a conversation before you get to that purpose that, you're, that you may not want to have or, or maybe important, but isn't really what you went there for. Sometimes you go to get the oil changed in your car. You know what I'm talking about? And it, you think it's going to be done in a jiffy, but then you have to have a conversation about everything else in your car that may be going on uh, before that actually takes place. Or maybe you're at work and uh, your boss schedules your annual review and you got to go sit down for your annual review. And really all you want to know is, I mean, how am I doing? Am I going to make more money or less money or no money? Like, just tell me, you know, what's going on. But you know it's going to be a long conversation about the last year and how everything's gone. And, and those are important conversations. And even though we might be going for one thing, Sometimes there are other important conversations that need to be had at the same time. I don't know what you came to church for this morning. Maybe you came to hear awesome music. Maybe you came to hear someone lead you in prayer. Maybe you came hoping that the pastor is going to give you a, a nice little cute saying that you can write on your mirror this week or on a post-it this week that you can kind of hang on to. I'm not sure why you came to church this morning. Maybe for none of those things. But sometimes you come and important conversations need to happen that may not to fit in those categories. This morning's passage is an important conversation. Uh, it's a conversation uh, that not everyone always wants to have, but an important one to have. The topic of this morning's passage is sin. 
And you might think, well, yeah, church, we're going to talk about sin again. And the, one of the reasons we look at this in this passage, one of the reasons I say this is important is because we're in 1 John talking about storms that you're going to face in life. And here's the reality. There's no greater storm you're going to face in life than what you do with following or obeying God's word. Whether you're walking in righteousness or holiness or falling into temptation with sin, there's no greater temptation, there's no greater storm you're going to face in life than what happens with sin. And it's not always an easy topic to deal with, and some pastors choose to deal with it in different ways. Uh, here's one way that one pastor chose to deal with the topic. We're going to take a different approach. <laughs> but this topic is important. And so 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 10. Let's take a look at it this morning. Here's what the word of the Lord says. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he, let me pause for a second there, the pronouns in this passage refer to Jesus, so the he and the him is Jesus. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident 
who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Lord, would you open up our ears and hearts to your word today? Help us to hear what it is we need to hear. God, give us uh, hearts to understand what you need us to understand, Lord, about this passage from your word. Lord, we sit here to sit under your word, not over it. So, Lord, help us to shape our lives to what your word has to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to answer two questions this morning as we look at this topic. The first question is this. What about Christians who sin? What about me? What about you as a follower of Jesus when we sin? What does it mean when we sin? Because we know we're called to live holy lives, and yet we know we sin. So what do we do with that? Second question we're going to answer is this. What is our responsibility to someone else who calls themselves a Christian and sins? Uh, the text answers those two questions, so we're kind of look at those two this morning. The first one, this idea of what about when I know that I'm called to live a holy life, and yet I also know that I sin. There's this tension we feel, right? In fact, there's this tension in this letter in 1 John that is felt. Uh, this idea that in 1 John 1.8, we're told that everyone sins. If we say we have no sin, John says, we deceive ourselves. And the truth isn't in us. So John's clear. Okay, we sin. There's sin within us. And then in the passage I just read in 1 John 3.9, it says this, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Well, those are two things that kind of cause tension. I cannot keep sinning. And yet if I say I'm not a sinner, I'm a liar. And I, I think about those two things and I say, well, what's the, what's the resolve there? How do I deal with the fact that I'm called to live clearly a holy life before God? And if you are a follower of Jesus, you're called to live a holy life before God. And John says that you cannot keep on sinning. And yet he also says, if you say you don't sin, well, you're a liar. These two things are both true. I think the resolve of the tension is in a word that we read in this passage. And the point is this, you are what you practice. You are what you practice. Because in this passage, John says this, he says, if you're of God, you're going to practice righteousness. If you're not of God, you're going to practice sin. This word practice is trying to bring across the tense of the verb that John is using that basically brings across the idea that someone who continues in sin, someone whose life is oriented that way and continues to, to pursue that in an active way, that's the life that is not of God. What John is not saying is that when you come to Christ, when you come to Jesus, that you'll never commit sin again. In fact, the reality is that uh, we would be a liar if we thought that would be true, John says. 
there is something that, as we've talked about, God has provided. How do we deal with sin? 1 John 1, 9, I said, is probably the key verse in 1 John. If you're going to memorize one verse of 1 John, memorize 1 John 1, 9. If, you can, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the reality is that as a Christian, you're going to sin, but don't make a practice of it. We practice things we want to get good at. You don't want to get good at sin. You may say, well, I don't need to practice that. I'm already pretty good at it, Pastor. Don't worry, <laughs> worry about that. But he's using the word practice in the way we use the word habit. Like you don't want, this is not, if you are in Christ, this is not going to be a habit in your life. If you are in Christ, when you sin, you go to God and you confess it. it yeah, every time and all the time. You go and you confess it. And when you do, he will forgive you and he will cleanse you from that unrighteousness. But the one who follows Christ is the one who practices righteousness. I, I kind of look at it this way when you think about practicing righteousness and practicing sin. Whatever the temptation is that you're struggling with or the sin that you might struggle with, the place that you know that here's a place in my life that I know God wants me to live differently than I'm living. What is the opposite of that? What is an opposite practice of righteousness that you might begin to put in place in your life? So if it's money and finance that you struggle with, or maybe fear of not having enough money. And so you hang on to it tighter than you should. And even know that perhaps maybe greed at times and scarcity and uh, it takes a hold of your heart. Well, the opposite practice of that would be generosity. And how can I find ways and places to give to people that cannot give back to me? How could I find ways to practice righteousness and generosity in my life in that way? You look for that opposite and you practice the righteousness rather than practicing the sin that's in your life. Or perhaps it's... Um, you know, my, my sin might be the fact that I really, even when I give money, I want people to know that I'm giving money. I want to draw attention to myself. So Jesus says, well, practice your giving in secret. Give in a way that no one else can possibly know that you gave. And you're practicing those acts of righteousness those acts of, of, of right living before God. So whatever it is you might be struggling, what is that opposite act? What is that opposite? Um, what is something that would pull you in the other direction that you may practice? I mean, Jesus did this when he was tempted by the devil uh, in his temptation in the desert. He was hungry. He had fasted 40 days. And the devil said, well, you know, turn these stones into bread. You can do that. You know, why don't you just use one of your miracles? And and Jesus said, you know, turn that in the opposite direction. God said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I'm going to focus on what God gives to me. And he turns that around. And in your life and in my life, when you follow Christ, you're called not to practice sin, but to practice righteousness. And so pursue those things. The fact that you sin and that you fall into sin at times or you commit a sin does not mean 
that you are not of God, that you are not a Christian, that you're a failure. What it means is that we are at a place where we need to confess to God and bring that to God and receive his forgiveness and ask him to give us the strength to not continue to walk in those ways in our lives. And so he's made a provision for that. But let me move on about this question of what is your responsibility to someone who calls themselves a Christian and commits a sin? Because that's one maybe we don't think about very often. And actually this text gives us this and a text in chapter 5 that we'll look at in a moment gives us two responsibilities. The first is this, I would say this, if someone practices sin, don't follow them. They are not traveling in the same direction as you. And by this, someone, I mean someone who calls themselves a Christian. Someone who calls themselves a follower of Jesus, but is in this practice of sin. Your responsibility is don't follow them. They're walking in a different direction. They're not going to get you to the destination that you are seeking. And you say, well, how could this possibly happen? Where, where are there people who possibly call themselves Christians and, and are walking in practices of sin and not walking around? I mean, how would that even happen? I, I, I ask you if you've ever been on Christian social media. You might find a couple who would say, yes, I follow Jesus, but I also live my life whatever way I want to live my life. That I feel like that, that in the freedom we have, that I can live my life the whatever way I feel like is the right way to live my life. But I have on my profile that I'm a Jesus follower. And what can happen and what can be tempting is you know the places in your life where you're tempted to follow your ways and not God way, God's ways. And so you see someone and you say, wow, they love Jesus and they get to do this. I guess it's okay. I guess you can follow Jesus and do whatever you want with your sexuality. I guess you can follow Jesus and believe whatever you want about life and gender issues and all kinds of other things that might, you know, you, this is a Jesus follower that gets to do whatever they want in this area of their life. That I guess God must not care about those things. And this is the way that you might end up following someone who's traveling really in a completely different direction. See, the main point of this passage, the governing imperative verb is where John says, little children, let no one deceive you. Let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. We can be deceived by someone who says, yes, I'm a Jesus follower, but doesn't strive to live a righteous life. And so John is saying, well, you can know pretty easily. Are they practicing righteousness or not? If they're not practicing righteousness in their life, if they're not pursuing it, then don't follow them. Don't be deceived. Don't live your life in the direction that they are going. 
John's pretty uh, firm about this, and he's watching out for them, and I think it's important in our world, too, because there are many people that want to depict very different pictures of what it is for us to follow Jesus. But there is a high calling that Jesus gives, and there's a way to follow him that he has called us to live, and we don't get to choose however we want to live in our lives. So the Christian, your first responsibility to someone who uh, may call themselves a Christian but commits sin is, well, don't follow them. If they're practicing sin, don't follow them. Don't be deceived by them. But the second aspect of this, there's another responsibility because there's times where people can call themselves Christians and commit sin that you have another responsibility to them. And that's found in chapter 5, verses 16 to 18. Turn there with me. Chapter 5, verses 16 to 18. John takes up the topic there as well. And it says this, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that lead to death, there is a sin that we, I'm sorry, excuse me, let me read that sentence again. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. The main point of this passage is John is saying your responsibility to a Christian who commits sin, call himself a Christian commits sin, is to pray for Christians when they sin. I don't know what your first reaction is when you hear about someone who calls himself a Christian and commits a sin. What is it? What's your first reaction when someone you know that calls themselves a Christ follower commits a sin? Maybe your first reaction is to think, well, glad I didn't do that. Or maybe your first reaction is to feel a little bit superior to them. Or to feel a little bit morally superior to them. Maybe your first reaction is to judge them. Maybe your first reaction is to gossip about it. To tell someone else about it. I mean, you would do it as a prayer request, of course, but... Your first reaction might be just to tell someone else about it. John says your first response as a Christian, when you see another Christian commit a sin, ought to be to pray for them. Ought to be to pray for them and to see them with the idea of seeing them restored to life. That our hearts ought to break, not feel morally superior or judge or gossip. Our hearts ought to break at that. That we are here, that one of the ways we love one another is to pray for one another when a sin is committed. To pray that God would help them to come to a place of forgiveness, to help them to come to a place where they would confess to God. 
There's a couple things in this passage I think that are interesting. You probably, you may have heard me read that passage and your first thought was, what is the sin that doesn't, that leads to death? Maybe you read that passage and you thought, I want to know more about that. It's actually a by the way in this passage, not John's main point. His main point is that you're supposed to pray for Christians when they sin. And so he says, you know, if if a Christian sins, a sin that doesn't lead to death, pray for them. And then he says, but there is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying you should pray for that. And immediately you're thinking, what is the sin that leads to death? In fact, that was the question our team had immediately when we read through this passage. We're like, let's figure out what that is, even though it's not really the main point of the passage. But I felt like I can't ignore that part of the passage either. Uh, My answer is going to be unsatisfying to you (laughs) because ultimately it's we don't really know what that is. As one commentator said, it's a lock without a key. It's obvious that the early uh, readers that John was writing to knew exactly what he was talking about, but we don't. So scholars have tried to make their best guess based on the larger understanding of scripture. Possibly it's uh, a sin that actually leads to physical death. There are times in the scriptures where we see that. Uh, Ananias and Sapphira sinned and it led to physical death. First uh, Corinthians, Paul talks about some of you are sick and even dying because of sin that's in the midst of you. So that's, that, that, that's something that we've seen in scripture, but not likely here because it seems to not be talking about physical death, but spiritual death. Could be apostasy, someone who was following Christ and then left. Could be some type of church discipline or excommunication. If, you had to, if I had to pin it down, you had to pin me down, I'd say uh, I'd agree with a number of scholars who say it's probably what the Gospels call the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, uh, a hard stance against the things of God that refuses to acknowledge the work of God and the things of God and actually attributes the work of God to the work of the devil. Uh, I would think it's probably something along those lines. But it's not really the main point of the passage. It's really a by the way. And even when John says it, he doesn't say you can't pray for that person. He just says, I'm not saying you should. Like you don't have to. You can pray for that person. But what he is saying is when a brother falls into sin, when a sister falls into sin, commits a sin, your first response, the way that you love that person in the body of Christ, your responsibility as a fellow Christian is to pray for them, is to pray that they would come back to a place of repentance, that they would come to a place of confession, that they would receive the forgiveness of God, that they would walk with God. This is how we love one another. If I have sin in my life, I want, to, I want to come to a place of confession. If you have sin in your life, I want to pray for you that you would come to that place and that God would restore you because we are journeying on this road together and we are going towards Jesus. I love what Alistair, Pastor Alistair Begg says about salvation and sin in the life of the Christian. He says this, he says, the Christian is someone who has been saved from the penalty of sin. 
He is being saved from the power of sin and will one day be saved from the presence of sin. Now that's the life that we're walking. When you follow and come to Jesus, you have salvation, you have forgiveness of those, your sins, but you are still in the struggle. You are still in the battle. You are being saved from the power of sin in your life. And what we look for is one day you will be delivered. You will be saved completely from the presence of sin. This leads some people to think and ask the question, well, can we ever get to the point where we don't sin this side of heaven? Can we ever get to the point where we are sinless and we are perfect and we don't sin this side of heaven? And to which I, I would respond with a question. How would you ever know? I mean, seriously, how would you ever know? I mean, what would be it if you, you know, didn't sin for 10 minutes and then died? Or a day and then died? Or a month and then died? Like, how would you know you actually reached the place of sinlessness and didn't just run out of time before you were just going to commit your next sin? So it's not really a helpful argument. The reality is we are going to battle against the flesh, the devil, and the world, fighting and tempting us, as John says, as long as we are in this world. But you got to stay in the struggle, and we're in it together, supporting one another. I saw demonstrated, I think this passage, the best way I saw this demonstrated once was when I was a... I don't know, maybe a teenager. I was at a, I was at a, um, at a retreat and, and we started praying for each other. And we were in a prayer meeting praying for each other. And uh, it eventually got to the place where we would come to the place where we were confessing. We were saying, you know what? I'm, I've got this sin that either I've committed or I struggle with. I want to leave it. I want to repent of it. I want forgiveness. I want freedom from it. Just pray that God would deliver me from it. So it really got to a place of just confessing the things in our lives that needed to be confessed. One person came up and he shared something in his life. Um, and he talked about the fact that, uh, I mean, he was a long time ago, none of you know him. He was living with his girlfriend at this time. But he wasn't coming, his language became evident that it wasn't repenting that he was looking for. It wasn't confessing. He was looking for us kind of to bless the situation and to pray that God would kind of bring peace and work in the situation. And I was like, oh, I don't know what we're going to do. I was a little curious of what was going to happen there. I, I was kind of there as an observer. And the leader of the meeting stood up and said, man, brother, we're not going to pray for that. I can't pray that God will bless something that you clearly are supposed to be leaving behind. I can't pray for that. I can pray that God will give you the strength to leave this, but I'm not going to pray that God's going to bless it. And I didn't know it at the time, but I think he was really demonstrating 1 John chapter 5. Look, there are people who are practicing and walking in the practice of sin. It's different than when you're walking with someone who's in the struggle with you, 
who's saying, I want freedom from this. I want deliver. This is something in my life that I need gone from my life. And I want not only forgiveness from God, I want cleansing from all unrighteousness. And would you pray with me about that? You need people who are traveling in the same direction with you. You need people that you can talk with about what you are struggling with when you commit sin. We talked about it a while back. You need people you can confess to, you can share with, say, look, I, I need to just confess my sin because the Bible talks about confessing your sins one to another in addition to confessing to God. You confess it and you say, look, I am looking for forgiveness, not only forgiveness, but I want to repent and leave this way of life. And if that's your prayer, well, I'm with you. I'm with you. No matter what it is, I'm with you. I will pray with you. I will, I will fight for you. I will, I will walk with you. Like that's the attitude we have to love one another. But John kind of makes this distinction here. Look, someone's in this practice of sin that's continually putting their hand up and saying, God, no, I don't want what you want. I want to live my life my way. I'm saying, you know, I'm not saying you should pray for that. But if it's a Christian, they're following God, they're endeavoring to do that, they're in the struggle, they've committed a sin, pray for them. That's your responsibility. The great hope in this passage is the last two verses, verses 17 and 18. And if you look at chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, here's what it, here's what it says. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. And verse 18, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he, I think that pronoun once again is Jesus, but he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. Your greatest hope and my greatest hope when it comes to the struggle with sin is that Jesus is the one that protects us is that Jesus is the one that holds us, is that Jesus is the one living within us, his Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God gives us the strength to live the life that God has called us to live. It takes me back to Jesus' words to Peter right before he went to the cross, right before Jesus went to the cross, and he's telling Peter, you're going to deny me. And, you know, Peter's, you know, of course, correcting Jesus which is never a good thing to do. He said, no, Jesus is saying, you're going to deny me. But these are his words to him. And he calls him Simon, which was his name before he had changed it. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith not, might, may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go to both prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will crow, not crow this day until you deny me three times that you know me. What's, what's going on in here? Jesus is saying, you're going to mess up, Peter. You're going to sin. You're going to deny that you know me but I'm praying for you, but I've prayed for you. I've prayed that you're gonna, and you're gonna turn back to me and then, I'm at, and then when you do, strengthen others along the way. 
I don't think those are just Jesus' words to Peter because the Bible says that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father interceding for you. You're going to mess up, but Jesus prayed for you. But Jesus is praying for you. And you are held in his hand and he's the one that holds you. And so our trust and our hope is in him. Stay in the struggle, but you're not in it with your own strength. You're in it with Jesus who will hold you and is praying for you and is with you and has given you his Holy Spirit to live this life. And so that's our hope. And so, yeah, when it comes to sin, you're going to sin, but don't make a practice of it. (laughs) Make a practice of righteousness. When you see others calling themselves Christians who are practicing sin, don't follow them. Don't be deceived. They're walking in a different direction. But when you see a committed Christian who falls into sin, pray for them. Pray for them that they might come back to God. And this is how we love one another in the body of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you and Father, we recognize that we often fall short of that which you desire for us. That we miss the mark. Your word calls it sin. We fall short of those things that you would call us to do and we don't do them. Or we just do things we know we shouldn't do. They're not good for life. They're not pleasing to you. And so, Lord, we ask your forgiveness. And, Lord, we ask that you would help us as we continue to live in this world that has fallen and broken and sinful and with our own sin, Lord, in our lives, that you would help us to, in that struggle and in that fight, to overcome and gain victory. Thank you, Lord, for the spirit of Christ that lives within us. Lord, help us to remember that it is not in our own strength that we fight this battle. Lord, thank you for the body of Christ that you've given to us, the brothers and sisters that we walk with along the way that pray for us, and may we be faithful to pray for them as we walk this road towards you together. Lord, help us to love one another in this way that we might glorify and honor you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just before the team sings this song, uh, I'll give you a couple questions just to continue the conversation this week. Again, I encourage you, don't, don't let it end here. Sunday morning, one hour, one hour and a half, it's not enough. You need to continue the conversation by walking in the, with someone who's walking in the same direction. So grab a cup of coffee, have a phone call, talk to a brother, talk to a sister this week uh, about this. There's a couple questions for you on this message. Is there anyone you are following who is practicing sin? Think about that. Is there anyone in your life? Second, what is your first response when you hear a Christian committing sin? What is honestly your first response? Just continue the conversation. Or maybe it's something else you heard today, but walk and talk together along the road as you pursue Christ together. Would you stand and we'll sing this song as we close our time in worship together.